Welcome to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners to what's happening in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I'm your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How are you, Alan? Doing good, Mike. A little hot, but pretty good. Yeah, not too bad. It's about time we got a little warmer weather. Um, Our topic today is going to be uh, COVID, uh, something we've really avoided talking about. And for that, we have a well-informed guest. Alan, would you please introduce our guest? Oh, me, my great honor and privilege to introduce Nathan Jaffe, who has been a journalist for over 20 years. He's currently the health and science correspondent for the Times of Israel. He's also an associate Israel correspondent with the Jewish Chronicle of London and Jerusalem correspondent with the Tablet, which is an international Christian weekly. He is a sought-after speaker and and both in person and on Zoom. And we're very lucky that Nathan uh, agreed to be with us this afternoon um, to really uh, try and get our... I think the last time we talked about COVID was... When before lockdown, even yeah. <laughs> we've been trying to so, it, really avoid having to really talk about it. But well, put it this way: the time. last time we talked about it was an in-person, in-studio recording. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nathan. How are you? It's a pleasure. I'm great. Thank you. Okay. Well, like Alan said, we really do appreciate it very much, and I guess we should kind of start off with just what happened, like. Uh, You know, Israel wasn't the country that handled the initial outbreak the best in the world, but we did pretty well in the first round, you know, in the first inning. And then somehow we've really lost control of this. What what happened? Well, yes, I mean, Israel did respond quite early and quite quickly, closed off the entrance to the country. Israel is quite lucky in that respect that there's one main entrance to the country Ben-Gurion Airport and really slowed the flights right down, took a load of measures and then had this very long lockdown. And what we saw was that the cases peaked in the middle of April Mm -hmm. and really by the end of April it kind of coincided with Israel's Independence Day. And at the time of Independence Day everyone was feeling pretty good, everyone was feeling pretty great. The Prime Minister basically declared victory against coronavirus and there was talk of maybe a second wave but people felt hey you know we've really kind of um we've really shown the great israeli spirit and really kind of knocked this virus away and um life started to get back to normal um schools reopened um synagogues reopened shops reopened restaurants cafes bars and really life did start get to get back to normal um and then it all started up again it all started up again and people said well maybe it's just that there are cases from schools and we're just seeing kids are passing it around and it's not going to be any major wave but now we stand in this situation where the number of cases today the number of active cases is more than triple what we had at the height of the first wave. So yes, you're right that things really have started up again. Things really have kind of uh, come back quite viciously. And, 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 and is it fair for me to blame the government for just mishandling the follow through that after taking steps to organize Israel's approach at the beginning, they just took their eye off the ball and things, you're right. I, I you know, anyone who walked around, and sees people walking around without masks and acting like it was all over, yes, the people behaved irresponsibly. But wasn't it the responsibility of the government to manage 
the people's behavior better and to make plans and, and organize the continued sustained fight against coronavirus? So the first thing to say is there is a hell of a lot about coronavirus that we just don't understand. There is a lot about this, uh, this virus that we really don't understand and we really don't know and it seems to have patterns. Why does it go crazy in some countries, not in other countries? There's a lot of mystery. So to an extent, we can look for kind of cause and effect, but there's also this kind of big unknown factor where we're really not sure. So we should always have in mind that there's this element of unknown. We just don't know what's causing the patterns to a point. But in terms of the government policy, it does seem that certain things have gone wrong. So one example is the reopening. Um, things reopened and it seems that, you know, the economy of the country really needed to reopen. And when I say economy, I don't just mean essential offices. I mean, you know, things that people do as part of their lives, restaurants, cafes, you know, those are part of the economy as well. And those are what keeps the country ticking as well. But it seems that there were some really large gatherings, for example, um, weddings, large mm -hmm. weddings, large celebrations, where a lot of infection seems to have been passed around. So there's this question of how quickly Israel should have gone back to normality and did it move too fast? And that's a major thing that people in the medical community are talking about and some of them being critical. And I think there's even been some acknowledgement on the part of the government that things did open up too fast. Uh, yeah, I, also, like, I, I mean, even like what's going on now, right? There's this constant like, right? Uh, oh, well, uh, lobbying for certain sectors um, in the government and and back and forth, the, you know, the, the government, the prime minister and his crew make uh a decision and then it's overturned in the Knesset and mm -hmm. back and forth and it's just like as a citizen I like what what the heck is going on like what am I supposed to I mean as a citizen like I would like to see that the health ministry is calling the shots and then the government is through following through with implementation with a certain amount of adjustment you obviously they're not the dictators the health ministry but you know you have people in the health ministry resigning because they don't feel they're being listened to and, and it seems to be this convoluted process, as Alan says, where decisions get made and then reversed and then reconsidered. And there's this just a tremendous loss of confidence, isn't there, with the Israeli populace in the government's ability to get control of this? Yeah, I mean, part of this, I think, is a characteristic of Israeli politics, specifically Israeli politics, where decisions are taken in a way that's very contorted and convoluted. And there's all these different pressure groups. I mean, just look at the chaos that we've had trying to form governments. Yeah. So many different forces pulling in so many different directions. And on the one hand, that's legitimate because you're going to have different groups representing their views. Of course, if you're a restaurant owner, you're going to be saying, hey, you know, don't close the restaurants just before the weekend because it's mm -hmm. going to cost us money. On the other hand, you need to have some body that oversees things and makes kind of professional decisions for the good of the country and there are questions as to whether that is happening. Another thing that is huge and being discussed a lot is the kind of irony that Israel is the startup nation with amazing command over data and technology and yet Israel is 
performing lots of coronavirus tests, but when it gets the results, is informing people if they're positive, but not using the great Israeli brain power and technology to take each case to investigate exactly who people have been in contact with and to inform all of those people that they should be wary and they should be in quarantine. And a lot of people are saying, if that would happen more effectively, we would have actually cut down a lot of those cases. So that's another issue that's really being spoken about a lot. What's seen widely is the missed opportunity of contact tracing. Uh, so, uh, I mean, uh, uh, the one thing I get that I'm not like, now I guess maybe it goes back to what you were saying before, we don't really know a lot about this, is that on the on the all these negative sides, they're still noticing. Thank God, and hopefully, we'll continue this way. But Israel's death rate is still really seems to be really low comparatively to a lot of other places in terms of the amount of cases. And no, yes, Israel's death rate does seem to be does seem to be lower um, than others, which again is something that we don't necessarily understand. Um, we don't necessarily know why. I mean, certainly. You know, the level of medical care in Israeli hospitals is good. Um, but, but we don't know. And what you find is, is it's absolutely fascinating. So you start digging down and you start to discover all sorts of just really interesting factors. I'll give you one example. I was writing about Israel's Arab community, um, which has really fed quite well during this pandemic. Um, and one of the things that I hadn't thought about until then was, you know, what could be a factor here? And people started saying to me, in Arab families, um, the elderly don't tend to live in old age homes. Rather, the elderly live with their broader family in the family home. And Arab doctors are saying to me, you know, that's a real factor that helps to explain low death levels among um among elderly Arabs. So there are so many different factors that could come into play, as well as, of course, you know, the unknown that we just we just don't know. So, yeah, but the death rate, thankfully, has been um, relatively light. So that, that's like very interesting what you say about the Arab, because we're all be telling, stay away from the elderly because we're going to infect them. Um, and we know the elderly are most affected in the, in the old age homes. And you're saying it, that could be a factor that in the Arab community, that they're not, that they, in fact, that they're not isolated in any way. Yeah, yeah. we've also been told that so many of the cases come from people living together in homes, and here you're saying that being in homes helped protect them. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that is one theory, and I actually interviewed a professor who conducted this very large piece of research regarding old age homes, um, homes for the elderly in Europe, and his conclusion was that, you know, the dynamic of being in a home for, for the elderly at that time kind of puts people at major risk, and um, and he actually found a direct uh, a direct pattern that where um, where the elderly are less likely to be in um, institutions, there is actually less death caused by coronavirus. So really, some fascinating findings there. Wow. So are you optimistic that that? But you're agreeing that if we look, you know, if I look at the nations of the world as laboratories of experimenting of how to deal with a pandemic, and I and I look at Israel's experience and I compare it to other nations, there are, you're, you're saying there's so many variables that we don't know yet, it's hard to conclude why Israel's doing relatively so badly in terms of cases. But it is still also fair for me to, to think that policy and governments, 
mismanagement has something to do with it. Yeah. Should I be hopeful that that's going to change? Um, well, they have appointed now a coronavirus czar, which seems a very strange name for a strange name for a management position in the Jewish state. Um, I don't know if there is a blessing for the coronavirus czar. Um, so they've appointed they've appointed such keep a person. Bar, may, I do. There is one actually. May the Lord keep him socially distant from us. Yeah, oh, nice. Um, so I don't know if that's going to make a difference. Um, look, I, I think you know. I think it's still fair. It's still fair to say, within whatever deck of whatever hand of cards we've been dealt, is policy managing in the best way possible. That's entirely fair. Right. So yeah, we don't know, and we don't know the genetics of the different communities in Israel, and there's all of these unknowns. But has management been the best possible? In some respects, it seems to have been lacking, such as, you know, large weddings doesn't seem to have been, um, doesn't seem to have been a smart move. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely kind of a lot of observations to be made in that area. And I think it's very fair to, to scrutinise policy. I don't think the unknowns with this should kind of let policymakers off the hook. Okay. But, and you think this new... Uh, oddly named Czar, do you think this new uh, approach will be helpful? You're optimistic? Um, As a journalist, yeah, are mean, you allowed to be optimistic? I mean, am I, yeah. I think yeah, I, I can be optimistic, but I think it's entirely dependent on what kind of powers are given. Um, yeah. and, and that's something that we just don't know. So, uh, so we're going to have to... Uh, get a sense of that, yeah. Which is classic, classic, uh, I don't know if it's just classic Israeli or classic 21st century. Give them the title, give them the job, and then we'll worry about mm-hmm. later what it actually yeah. means. Yeah. Ab- Let's absolutely. restore confidence by making sure the window dressing is uh, inspiring without yeah. actually handling the... All right, well, that's terrifying. So so can you give us some good news about, you know, as you, you, know, you, you refer to Israel as startup nation... Where is Israel in the global fight, you know, technological, medical fight against COVID as innovators? How are we doing there? Um, Well, I think that um, there are some really interesting ideas. I mean, this is just, um, this has kind of been something that's really motivated um, Israeli innovators, really kind of caused people to, to... to kind of put their heads together, to work together, research teams, and all sorts of ideas from military technology being taken in order to measure people's temperatures as they walk in somewhere and not have to stop and face a thermometer. That kind of thing that just makes life easier through to research on best management, um, lots of artificial intelligence innovation, given that there's so many unknowns with this disease, when are people going to take a quick turn for the worse in a hospital? So all sorts of artificial intelligent innovations to monitor patients and from the patterns of previous patients, give doctors warnings and say, hey, you need to keep an eye on this patient now. Um, One of the most interesting um, pieces of research that I've covered um, is a uh, Hebrew University finding, um, which is actually very new, which is the identification of a a drug 
that already exists, an anti-cholesterol drug, um, which seems to lower the severity of coronavirus. And they check this out with the actual virus um, in a lab. Very, very optimistic results from that. Um, and the, um, the researcher, Yaakov Nachmias, from Hebrew University is really very optimistic. And this would be exciting because, you know, we have coronavirus drugs, or at least one coronavirus drug coming out. And even if it's great, there's problems with supply, there's problems getting it to the right place. And if we can really start to identify drugs that can help that are already on the market, already out there, um, that's pretty exciting. So there's that kind of research, and there's research into disinfectants, disinfectant sprays, disinfectant um, substances that last for a long time, all the different aspects of what a pandemic means. You've got Israeli minds trying to think it through and say, hey, how can we become more effective? How can we become safer? How can we fight this better? So all of that's really fascinating and slightly optimistic. That's in so in terms of therapeutics or in terms of hygiene, is there any any progress in terms of uh, an actual vaccine in Israel? In terms of an actual vaccine, it seems that you know Israel's biological institute, which is traditionally this very secretive institute located in Nestsiona, they do seem to be making some progress. They actually published a uh, published an article on exactly how far they're getting with this, and they tried it on rodents. They seem to be making progress. It does not seem that they will be the first. They're not going to be the first. But even if they are not the first, it's still important. It's still important for a couple sure. of reasons. First of all, because of supply. Once vaccines mm -hmm. are available, there is no way that anybody can make vaccines for the whole world straight away. So right. it's not going to be that there's a vaccine and overnight everyone will have it available to them. There'll be issues sourcing it to the different countries. And once it gets to the different countries, you're going to have a pecking order of who gets it in what order, presumably mm -hmm. to the elderly first. So if we are going to get a homegrown vaccine here in Israel, then that is massively useful, even if it comes after another vaccine. And another reason it's important is because we don't know exactly what the effectiveness rate of a vaccine will be. Um, we all hope that it's going to be 99.99%, but realistically it could be 90, 80, 70. We'd probably still go for it if it was 60%. And there is a possibility that maybe, uh, like we do, for example, with polio, we'll go for a combination of two mm -hmm. vaccines to increase um, coverage. So for that reason also, it's important to have these homegrown initiatives. We also have every year, we, uh, there's new flu vaccines coming out every year, so we don't know the future, right? Uh, it may, right, in terms of a COVID-19, different strains, or like what you have with the flu. Yes, it does seem to be evolving quite slowly, but it, it is a possibility that they will need to, uh, to tweak or change a vaccine. That's entirely, that's entirely true. So, so Nathan, what I'm taking away is I should let my cholesterol get out of control because the more cholesterol medication I take, the better it is. So I can have <laughs> hamburgers three times a day. Okay, I'm telling. That's great. Okay, so uh, I, I'm curious. In all seriousness, <laughs> that's true. I wasn't even in my dumb joke. I forgot it was the nine days. I'm not eating meat. Um, but Nathan, can you give us a sense, like from your perspective, reporting on this? 
this issue, this health issue, how has it affected Israeli society culturally, in terms of uh, religion, in terms of just life, in terms of... In other words, Israel must have its own individual way. Israelis is its own, you know, have their own culture. How has it impacted life here from your perspective? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's caused certain challenges and frictions. Um, I think that right at the beginning of the pandemic, um, there was an issue that social distancing um, and adherence to regulations actually caught on more slowly in ultra-Orthodox communities than elsewhere. And that caused, um, that seems to have contributed to the fact that there was a large number of cases among the ultra-Orthodox. I say contributed because there were other factors here as well, such as people living in large families in close proximity. So we don't know how much of it was because of the late social distancing. And I think that caused a certain antagonism from other parts of the population towards um, the ultra-Orthodox community. But it was actually actually less... um, than I expected. So that was slightly reassuring, although it did cause certain frictions. Um, I think in terms of the... Yeah? I was just to say, it also actually had the reverse effect a little bit, right? There was a big like lot going like with Aviv Geffen, famous Israeli secular, uh, not known for his love of the religious world, who like reached out to the Haredi community. I made a big splash in the news about how he was... Um, kind of reaching out and there was reaching back going for So you kind of had like, yeah. it's like the weird new combinations, you could say. Yeah, no, absolutely. It definitely kind of shook everything up. It definitely changed everything around. Um, and just as the, there were these changes in life, you saw some very interesting things. I mean, I saw, um, you know, people, um, when the synagogues were closed, you know, I saw... Um, that in Jerusalem people went out to to pray on their balconies, and um, you know I saw a uh, I saw a video which was posted by somebody who was not religious at all who took part in this because it was going on around him, and he had mm-hmm. kind of you know neighbours of all different stripes, and very spontaneously they ended up praying together on a Friday night. So that was quite um, that was quite beautiful. That was quite positive. Um, in hospitals and in healthcare, we have a really interesting phenomenon, which is that um, Israeli Arabs, we're talking about Arab citizens of Israel, are disproportionately represented in healthcare. There's a disproportionately high number of Arabs who are doctors, nurses, every every aspect of the medical profession. Um, and really, why is that? Why, why is that? Um, it's just culturally they go like it's it's of interest to them or yeah, culturally um, and also you know in families where often uh, people are the first to go to university they want to go for that kind of very prestigious profession um, but there's, hmm. there's a very strong trend towards that and like, um, like pharmacy pharmacy also. Fun. I'll say, yeah. I think it's also partly because Arabs are also uh, a lot of ways locked out from a lot of climbing, like social climbing because of the army. If you don't go to the mm. army, right, that's where like lots of positions get open. This is a place Networking. where you can excel, which doesn't yeah. necessarily rely on that. 
yes, civilian civilian areas. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and that's actually what I was going to say, which was that um, this changed something because usually in Israel, when there is a national crisis, it is a security crisis, and the people on the front lines are mm-hmm. mostly Jewish people because the army is comprised mostly of Jewish people. Um, Arabs are entitled to an exemption from army service. So usually those kind of heading up crises are Jewish citizens. In this crisis, it was completely turned around because Arab citizens of Israel have been playing a very leading role in fighting that crisis, which is quite fascinating. The other thing that that meant is that, quite literally, I don't think there's ever been a, a time in history when there have been so many Jewish ha- Jewish lives so many Jewish lives that are quite literally in Arab hands so many Jewish lives that rest in Arab hands and this this has set people thinking this has set people thinking about the relationships between Jews and Arabs this has challenged people this has made people think that if you know if we have that trust in hospitals can that trust be built um, elsewhere in society so it's going to be very interesting to see if any of that lasts after um, do you think it'll build a, a deeper sense of Israeli unity that that comes out of this or are you worried that that will cause I think if it's managed well it could lead to uh, I think if it's managed well then it could lead to advances um, hmm. but again it depends how it's how it's managed yeah yeah um, but it's at least hopeful something hopeful absolutely absolutely and maybe there's one other um kind of uh, one other optimistic, optimistic element to this, which I've noticed in uh, in recent days, which is that um, we're in a situation now where places of worship, so we're talking churches, mosques, and synagogues, are not quite closed, but very, very limited in terms of the number of people who can gather. So you're talking, and there may be a change up in this over the next few hours, but you're talking really 10 people at indoor services so these places really can't continue working in the way that they normally do um and i think in a lot of places you know people would say well you know the the religious life is really is really shutting down and what i felt in in recent days is that i think public prayer has started to break down but i don't think the religious life has broken down at all. In fact, if anything, I think the religious life is actually very strong at the moment. And what I mean by that is I think communities are strong. I think community members um, are more in contact with each other than ever, really kind of, you know, keeping in contact with each other um, outside of the normal prayer context, caring for each other, carrying those religious values of caring for the weak in the community, really really going with those things and I think also what we have is people taking religious rites that may usually happen in synagogue um, and bringing them into the home you know families that never usually pray together actually doing the Shabbat prayers together because they're not doing it um, in the synagogue and I think that's led to some really uh, some really lovely examples taking place around Israel the one that's inspired me the most is um at Hadassah Hospital in Jerusalem. Uh, They say that they've become the first hospital in the world to actually send visitors into coronavirus wards, visitors in order to relieve the loneliness. This is very much a a disease of loneliness as well, given you get isolated from other people. 
And Hadassah says it's become the first hospital in the world to send visitors in there to relieve that loneliness and that boredom. And the people they're using is recovered, um, recovered coronavirus patients because they seem to have antibodies. They seem to have some immunity. We're not exactly sure how much immunity. Um, and so they've developed this very groundbreaking program to send visitors who appear to have immunity into those wards. And what I find quite inspiring is, firstly, that's that's a marvellous thing. That's an exciting thing. Yeah. Um, but the sense that you actually have as a motivating factor, um, this sense that it's a mitzvah, it's a commandment, it's an instruction of Jewish tradition to go and visit the sick, to visit those people who are unwell. And what we have here is literally an example where, you know, there was a lot of dismay that that couldn't be carried out. So people looked around for a creative way to do that, said, hey, we found a way, we've got these antibodies, at least some people will be able to go in there and do that and uh, actually set up that program. So seeing something very positive coming out of these uh, traditional values has been quite inspiring. Well, I think I, I think you're right. I think, I think you're, you're, you know, the, the organized parts of religion may have been somewhat disrupted, but religious life is... Uh, a lot more, and uh, that's insightful to find it. Uh, I mean, it's is clear. It's a, a re- it's you know a rethinking. I think you know it's it's certainly inspiring a rethinking of of the role of synagogues in our in in Jewish life uh, at all. I think not not just in Israel, but uh, across the world. Clearly, you know what is that role, and that's only going to get more pronounced as we get closer to the uh, the high holidays. You know, my here and where I live in my small little moshav. They started. They're already thinking about that. Well, how are we going to do high holidays? And obviously, you know, with these street minions and things like that, it's a whole new ball game. It also gives people more to take more personal responsibility. And I also think that the role of women becomes uh, more complicated, and women get involved either because, as you were saying earlier, Nathan, sometimes things just happen in the home together. But even here in street in street prayers... In Orthodox, you know, in the Orthodox community. In the Orthodox world in Israel. So women are sort of moving in into sort of gently getting involved more in different ways. I, I wonder what changes are going to come out of it. And, and hopefully, like you say, Nathan, hopefully, if managed well, a lot of these moments can lead to well, Alan always says we, we shouldn't be talking about going to, back to normal. We should be talking about how do we come out of this better. And I think a lot of your comments really reflected that idea. Yeah. Is, your, is your calm, understated way of talking because you're a journalist, because you're British, or a combination of both? <laughs> because I find it very reassuring... Both emotionally, because I, I, I'm really, as I was saying to you before we started recording, I'm really in distress seeing the government, I think, really mishandle. No, but, but also uh, it gives me a sense that you're, you're saying things with real confidence, like, um, like you're, 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 care, you're, you're, you're careful to make sure that the facts you're presenting are just that. I do my best. I do my best to uh, look. I think there is a lot of misinformation lot of disinformation out there um, and and we need to be kind of we need to be very level-headed because it's very easy to get either uh, to become either flippant or frightened um, and I think the challenge is to find that to find that middle path because um, I, I think that's what we so will need I hope we'll be able to turn to you again in the future how can people follow you on social media or 
other, you know, what, what's a good way for people to, to find your voice? Sure. So um, if people want to find me on Facebook, um, then the best way is you just type in at Nathan on Israel. That's all one word, at Nathan on Israel. Um, and that should come up. Um, you should be able to find Nathan Jeffy, journalist and speaker. Um, and it'll be a pleasure to see anyone following the page, checking out some of the articles and anyone involved in communities and organizations if they want to do some type of um, Zoom or other video conference seminar. Those are all available as well. Okay, well, we'll share that also. We'll share that link on the podcast. Yeah. I really, uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it personally. And I'll tell you on behalf of our listeners, I'm sure they'll appreciate it as well. Uh, thank you so much, Nathan. It's a pleasure. And uh, thank you, Alan. Thank you, Mike. And hoping for better news moving forward. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.